Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the journey. Two hours of bliss, excitement, nonstop fun and entertainment, along with the latest news headlines, Ooh. solutions. Today, we're going to talk about worry. You're stuffing it full today, aren't you? Today, we are stuffing it full <laughs> of goodness, lessons, and learning. Welcome to the program. It's been a weird day today. Yes, it has. Have you guys noticed? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just weird. Uh, speaking of weird, guess what happened? What? Did you guys watch the Super Bowl? Yeah. No. Loser. <laughs> Super Bowl smashes ratings record. Pulls historic that, records. 1.14.4 million viewers. I always find it funny. You mean 114.4 million? 1.114.4 million viewers. That's a lot. I think that's pi, isn't it? So many, they got two points. They got so many decimal points in there. It is the largest viewing of a a sports event in the United States. Well, you know, the ratings always go along, and they don't go along with the commercials, I got to tell you. They go along with how good the game is. If it's a blowout... Yeah. The ratings just go down. People tune out. Yeah, but this was a this was this was a good blowout then. No, this was not a blowout. I mean, this was a good. This was a very good ratings. game. Yeah, yeah. But by the way, don't say blowout. The minute you say that, I think of my wife and I with our ba- our new baby <laughs> at the mall. You know what I think of? I think of the tire on my car. Oh, there you go. That blew out. Yeah, the that's other day. healthier. Because when you said that, that threw me. Right. Uh, Super Bowl Forty Nine surged to break multiple records on Sunday night, raking in one one. One hundred and fourteen point four million viewers. These number things—it's killing me. One hundred and fourteen point four million viewers yes. to become the most watched telecast in U.S. history. That easily tops. I mean, that's the almost record. a third of the United States. Two million more viewers. Two point uh-huh. two million more viewers. Now, these are just U.S. numbers, right? Yes. Because I mean, they're, the the game's being broadcast. To a lot more than just it is America. the Super Bowl. That's right. It is. Hey, uh, in this article that uh, we're reading, that I don't remember where I found it, but it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Michael O'Connell is the author of the article, but he says, last night, this is a quote, last night's Patriot Seahawks Super Bowl ranks among the most exciting sporting events in U.S. history, said NBC Sports Group chairman Mark Lazarus. Well, of course they're going to hype it up as the most exciting if you're from NBC. That's right. I mean, just because it was the most watched doesn't I mean the most exciting. That is so subjective. Well, I'm going to Come argue on. with that. There is a much more exciting event called Miracle, the Miracle on Ice. Uh, exactly. I don't know. This last Super Bowl, I, I think you could argue that it was the most exciting sporting event since the beginning of time. No. <laughs> By the way, speaking of the beginning of time, the, the NBC Sports Group chairman's last name is Lazarus. <laughs> yes. So, you know, he comes from good heritage. Yeah, but of course he's going to hype up the fact that they had a really good football game sure. on NBC. Sure. Whatever. NBC's looking for ratings. Hey, that's not the only thing going on, by the way. It's not? No. Uh, I mean, there's other people in the world? You know, recently we've been playing the game Where's Castro? 
Yeah, where is he? Uh-huh. It's a great game. It is. It's like where's Waldo? But it's Waldo? so hard to find because he's always in the same outfit with the green fatigues. But they and the haven't hat. found him for five months. He hasn't been out. There have mm. been no pictures. Remember, and then all of this stuff with uh, President Obama and Cuba, kind of mm-hmm. you know releasing some of the the captives. What were they? Just just the political prisoners. Yeah. And and just saying we're going to try to strengthen these relationships. Well, Keep. guess what? Pictures are out. Of? Of Fidel Castro. Fidel? Yeah. In fact, if you watch it, it's a lot like uh, Weekend at Bernie's. Have you seen that movie? <laughs> yes. Uh, and Weekend at Bernie's too. <laughs> you've seen both of them? Yes. But apparently uh, he's out. There's pictures of him talking to a student um, leader. Uh, it's a first-person account by student leader Randy Perdomo Garcia says the meeting took place on January 23rd. Three hours that Randy got to spend with Fidel. They had great food and fun, and they're taking pictures and laughing, engaging. It was incredible. What kind of food? Well, we were not going to go there. Oh, okay. But. Was it cut up really small? (laughs) Actually, I didn't didn't see how it was cut. That's a great question. But he's alive. Everyone's well, worried that he's dead. That's actually good to know. He's alive. It's, it's nice that he's still alive. It it'll it will be, you know, yeah. a little not nice when he. No, it's sad away. when anyone dies. Yes. It's sad, but you know, a lot of people don't like this man. He hurt a lot of people. That's true. And yet, uh, we do have now factual evidence that he is alive. Interestingly, um, when this student wanted to leave after three hours, yeah, uh, he basically couldn't. He said, I'm about to go, but he continues a conversation about new ways of fighting some diseases, including diabetes, with the production of natural foods, and he just couldn't get Fidel to be quiet. Wow. Yeah. But what do you do? Maybe maybe Fidel needs more visitors. That's exactly right. It's one of those things like when you're visiting, you know, your grandma and she doesn't want you to go. Or Mm -hmm. he should get a radio show. Oh, Oh, wow. That's a great- We should call him. That's a great point. That almost sounded like a dig. Was that a dig? Mm, I don't know. Nah. Nah. Uh, here's some great news, by the way. Uh, Johnny Manziel, the yes. Browns quarterback. I've heard of him. He's going to get some treatment. What? Yeah. I mean, a lot of people have been you know, thinking he's just not quite himself. Really? He yeah, got, treatment for what? Uh, he's not really saying, but he just needs to get back. He wants to get his game on. He's not doing as well as he should be. Johnny knows that there are areas in which he needs to improve in order to be a better family member, friend, and teammate, and he thought the offseason was the right time to take this step, Beckworth said. Uh, Brad Beckworth is his advisor. Wow. Oh, good for him. Yeah. So um, according to ESPN.com, he's heading in. He wants to go reevaluate his value system. He mm. he's expect, It's rehab. That's where he's going. Um, but, uh, you know, he's, he's off, he's been offered some interesting stuff. That's the problem is when they see the weakness, all the sharks start hopping on him in, did you know that in Las Vegas, they offered him uh, six figures to host a Super Bowl party? You're kidding me to host. Yeah. Yeah. Now would he, he have to, would he have to pay for the, you know, the, the seven layer dip and stuff or no, what? No, he just has to host it. Just has to show Jeez. up. But the interesting thing is, you know, he's saying, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to do it. Uh, Nike's actually proud of him. The Browns say we support him. He just needs to get some stuff cleared up. And a lot of this comes back from— So is this—I mean, this is—isn't it his second year in the pros, I think? Yeah. And and he's struggling because not just professionally, not just on the field, but off the field. This goes back to um, a, an incident where he didn't show up 
for kind of a mandatory meeting that he was supposed oh. to go to. And actually, they were actually on the road. They were about to leave to go, I guess, to a game. And is, he, is he this, was intoxicated. It sounds to me the situation is kind of like he's he got his payday and yeah. thought, I am all that. Well, yeah. And so let's do this. And now he's realizing, um, oh, wait a minute. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. But he think of that, too. He's a, he was a young punk. He was the big guy on campus for years. Right. Very successful. And, you know, now he's in the big leagues. Right. And he's a he, punk. He, he's, he, he was successful in college, but then he got the reward of being successful. And so he thinks, oh, well, I've yeah. got to act this way. Now he's got to earn it. Yeah. But it, but see, this kind of goes back to what I wanted to talk to our, our first guest, Dr. David Sachs, going to be joining us, who actually runs these these kind of centers, these programs. Right. And, you know, he'll help with he'll help give us some ideas, not just about Jan, Johnny Manziel, but about each of us, how we can decrease our worries and how sometimes, you know, if you don't handle your worries right, you're going to go to other things to medicate Uh, Not good. We're going to take a break. Come back. More on the subject of decreasing your worries, improving your health. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Don't worry, baby. Don't worry, James. Everything will be all right. Hey, today we're talking about uh, worry, and we've got a great guest, a great, I mean, expert, honestly, full-fledged, couldn't be more accredited. Dr. David Sack is his name, and Dr. Sack is a board-certified psychiatry addiction and um, psychiatry and addiction medicine expert. He currently is the CEO of Elements Behavioral Health, which is a network of addiction treatment centers that include Promises Treatment Centers, The Ranch, and The Recovery Place. He uh, also is a, um, a blogger and has a blog on Psychology Today, which is where we found this article, 10 Ways to Turn Off Your Worries. Stop bracing yourself and embrace the present instead. Again, Dr. David Sack, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Oh, thanks, Matt, for having me. It's really a pleasure. It's, it's great to have you. One of the things that uh, we talked about before you came on was an article about the quarterback Johnny Manziel. Did you hear about that, where he's now going into a, a treatment program? Uh, you know, he feels like he needs to get his life in order. And then I see your bio, and I think, well, man, here's the guy that— that helps us through this. Um, and again, with Johnny Manziel, we don't know. He, he doesn't talk about if he has an addictive problem. He doesn't, we don't, he doesn't talk about any of that. But when it comes to worry, is, is, how it, is there a connection then between just worry and what you do with your other treatment centers and the programs you run? Sure. So we have programs for anxiety and depression at several of our treatment centers, uh, in Tennessee, in Florida, and in Pennsylvania. And worry, you know, is a big factor that causes people to start to use drugs and alcohol. So there are people who have problems with anxiety that start frequently early in life, years before they ever pick up a drink or smoke a joint, and that those anxiety symptoms then get played out with them looking for relief through mm. drugs. So really, I guess that's one of the keys to worry. And I know it's one of the things that, that you mention a lot in your article 
Um, I mean, worry is it's kind of a natural tendency to to have a little bit of um, anticipation, a little bit of concern about certain things. But you can certainly take it in the wrong direction, right? Absolutely. You know, we like to think about the difference between arousal, where you're alerted to the possibility of threat or danger or opportunity, and differentiate that from from uh, apprehension and fear and future anxiety. Hmm. So what's normal is is that when we're threatened or when we're excited, you know, our central nervous system is aroused. We pay more attention, our heart quickens, and we're able to respond to the things that are going on in our environment. But ordinarily, that calms down after a very brief period of time. But people who are prone to worry continue in that hyper-aroused state, even mm-hmm. though there's no reason. Oh, and then, so that would then be, I guess, considered anxiety. It's kind of more of a chronic condition that then stays with you versus a situational experience. That's right. And that anxiety can be generalized. That is, people have a generalized sense of fear and apprehension that transcend circumstances. And then there are other people who have uh, situational specific anxiety, but where the magnitude of the response hmm. is way out of proportion with the circumstance. And then, and then we have to find some way to get out of it. And some might choose, you know, you know, meditation and mindfulness, which is one of the things you're suggesting in this article. Others might choose alcohol and avoidant tendencies and, and just self-medicating. That's right. Well, I think that, you know, most people aren't raised in a, in a home where they teach mindfulness meditation. Right. But most of us are familiar with people who slug back a drink when they get really nervous. Yeah. So I think that the modeling and the learning, you know, makes picking up that drink very easy. That's why I really loved the article, because um, we, we need skills. We need tools. And, you know, whether you're a professional athlete who's probably been dealing with stress your whole life to just keep that level of performance up, or just the average Joe trying to make it through your day, worry's going to come in. It's going to take over. You also mentioned that, really, in most cases, the concept of worry is just wasted energy. That's right. And, And what's the hardest part for people is to set aside that 10 or 15 minutes to practice their breathing, to allow their mind to sort of free associate, to um, to stop thinking about the things that they have to get done and just allowing themselves to think about being. And when people are able to do that, it really changes the way the brain functions. It changes the brainwave structure. It changes energy utilization and which parts of the brain are active. Mm. And over time, that training makes people less vulnerable to fear stimuli and to threats. And so they recover much faster. And it's just, it really is, it's, it's training. It's, it almost seems like going to the gym for your mind, for your psyche, to just know, to, to kind of grow those muscles of recognizing your stress, managing it, breathing through it. Um, and then you actually can, I guess, I assume, turn off the chemistry. The, the, That's right. You're going to anticipate, yeah. Changes occur later. That is, what happens is, is that because the person is able to bounce back from the stress faster, they don't have the same magnitude of chemical change. Mm. Yeah. And then, uh, again, as I think about it, just who doesn't need this? From 
just the average parent to the workers to the employees of the world to the students. Everybody needs to learn these. You gave us 10, I believe it was 10 ways to turn off your worries. Let's start going through some of them and and just maybe walk us through uh, one. One of the most, uh, number one anyway, is is living in the now. Talk about that with us. Well, one of the things that you see a lot in people who worry is what I call future anxiety. Their brain starts to race along all the possible things that can go wrong. And in many cases, the things that they fear are so much worse than anything that's going to happen. So getting them back into the moment and saying, you know what, all of those things you can't do anything about. So let's pay attention to what's going on now. Right. And usually what's going on now is much more pleasant and there's much more opportunity in it. And and even when you get to that nervous future moment and you're in the now, it's still not as overwhelming. You know, I mean, it's right. you, you, it's going to be there. Like if, if I have to go do a really big speech with a lot of people there, I can worry about it for weeks and or I can just start recognizing that's a little worry. And that might be telling me I probably need to start preparing and and do something with that energy instead of just worrying my way all the way there. And anxiety prone individuals tend to it. They, they, it tends to escalate very quickly. So they catastrophize where every little thing then races into a horrible uh, outcome. And so part of it is to challenge those beliefs and say, really, you know, is the sky really <laughs> falling? You know, what makes you think the sky is falling? And, and so in therapy, you can challenge some of those cognitive distortions where those beliefs are so out of proportion with what's about to happen. And the person feels such a sense of relief um, at seeing that the fear has very little to do with reality. I love that. That And challenging, how many times are we, you know, subconsciously held by a belief set that we never challenge, that we even we don't even have the tools to challenge, and yet it keeps us hostage, you know, from anxiety or even depression probably and other things. It's powerful. Absolutely. You talk and about friends and relatives get impatient. You know, they, they get frustrated because they don't know how to move that person along. And so their anger and frustration almost forces that person into a corner. And what you really want to do is to sort of invite them to examine the belief. Mm. You know, let's talk about it. You know, you, you don't uh, you don't you say don't try to brace yourself for bad stuff. What, what do you mean by that? That was another one that you suggested. Don't try to brace yourself for it. Well, if you think about it, you know, if you're stiff and rigid and you get pushed, you're going to have much more muscle pain and run the risk of a much bigger injury like a fracture to hmm. your arm or your leg because you're, you're in a state of, of fixed extension. And so what you're really doing with anxiety is you're saying, you know, when you try to brace, when you're, when you're trying to fend it off that way, you're actually making your anxiety worse. You're increasing your muscle tension. You're increasing your arousal. You're becoming very focused on the thing that you fear. And that's the exact opposite of what's going to be helpful. What's going to be helpful is to basically say, you know, good things and bad things happen every day. This day is no different than any other day. So I'm going to go about my business and enjoy the good things. Hmm. And bracing it, you're spending all of your time focused on what that bad thing is that's going to happen to you. Yeah. You know, if you think, if you think about it, if, if you get in your car to drive down the street and you're convinced that every time you pass a driveway, a car is going to come flying out and hit you broadside, 
you're not going to have a very good driving experience. No. And that's what the bracing is about. And, and I guess, I mean, it's if you've ever just seen somebody, you know, just get hit like a rag doll, sometimes there's a benefit to just go with it and just be a rag doll uh, versus, you know, stiffening up and, you know, cartwheeling it. It's I can see that too, just emotionally. Just just kind of let things be, let it go, and let it be what it is, instead of trying to kind of fight against it. Right, and and I think the other part of that is that the emotional reaction to an event is usually worse than the event itself. Yeah, you know, grief and loss. We're very distressed, but when you really think about it, you know, and after a few weeks, you're over it. So part of it is accepting that there are going to be days where you feel bad, and that's okay. And so, again, like your analogy, you're rolling with it because you're saying, you know, this is going to resolve itself. I don't need to do anything necessarily. Yeah, and maybe even start looking for the fact that it is resolving. I mean, that, that's just seeing some clues that it's starting to get better. It's so helpful, isn't it, to and be anticipating those good clues. That's right. You know, one of the things that is very common in, in hypnosis is, is a post-hypnotic suggestion where you basically say, you may be pleased and surprised by how good things are going to work out, you know, yeah. how good the weather is going to be, how good traffic is going to be, because people who are anxious are always looking for the worst. It's so true. So true. And then amazingly, we find it. We find it. Uh, we are on the phone right now with Dr. David Sack. He is a, a board-certified uh, expert in psychiatry and addiction medicine. Um, he's also, uh, you know, the head, the CEO of Elements Behavioral Health and they run a, a group of addiction treatment centers. We're picking his brain on an article he wrote called The Ten Ways to Turn Off Your Worries. We're going to take a break, come back, more ideas to, to give you, you know, some hope, some help to managing your worries. This is The Matt Townsend Show, back after this break. About a thing. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Yes, today, as we're talking about worries, who better? <laughs> who could? Who was less worried about life than Bob Marley? I just have a feeling he did it a different way than Dr. David Sachs is trying to teach us. Maybe, you know, I don't know. I don't want to cast any aspersions. Uh, Dr. David Sachs is on the phone with us. We're talking about worries and how to turn them off. Uh, interestingly, who better to teach us than a board-certified expert in psychiatric and addiction uh, medicine? Dr. Sack is uh, a, great, uh, a great scholar and leader in this field. Um, he received his medical degree from Rush Medical College and then completed his residency in psychiatry at the UCLA Neuropsychiatric Institute. He uh, also is, uh, has a blog that you can find on Psychology Today, and the blog is called Where Science Meets the Step, I believe. And uh, he's, he's teaching us today some very basic, simple tricks, ideas, thoughts that we might want to pick up uh, in order to manage our own emotion, our own sense of worry. Dr. Sack, welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Well, thank you. So good to have you. And um, I love what we're learning. Just very basic ideas, living more in the now. You know, don't brace yourself for the bad stuff. Uh, you, you also teach us that we, we should give ourselves permission 
to not worry and also give yourself permission to worry. What do you mean by that? What I meant by that was the idea that there are going to be stresses in life and we're going to think about them, you know, and that that's a part of our normal lives. So, for instance, you know, your child is, is going to get married and you start to think about their wedding and what that's going to mean and all the details. That, that's a normal reaction. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't feel bad if we're, you know, thinking about something that is a big change in our lives or a big event. And that what we're really looking at is, you know, how adaptive is it? Are we using that arousal, that increased awareness to solve problems, or are we having problem taking action because we're so nervous we can't make decisions? And so when people are aroused, it is they're thinking about what they need to take care of. That's not necessarily a bad thing. It becomes a bad thing when they become paralyzed. Hmm. Yeah, and they can't move on. And I guess, too, I, I can give – I need to be giving other people permission to worry as well. It seems like so many of us are quick to say, oh, don't worry about that. Relax. And and like you said earlier, we start getting angry with it, which just induces more anxiety and probably more chemistry. Absolutely. And what's interesting is that in 12-step recovery, they frequently talk about one day at a time, the idea that that – it's very easy to become overwhelmed if you think you have to fix all the pieces in your life, you know, at one moment. And what you realize is that if you work toward a goal, just doing a little bit each day and in each moment, then the rest takes care of itself. And the body... Cognitive behavioral therapy, we do the same thing. We try to get people to break things down into sort of manageable blocks so they can see, yes, I'm moving forward. I'm taking that first Step. And in cognitive behavioral therapy, you, you begin with the thinking, right? I guess the thinking that generates the feeling or at least makes tries to make a story up for what we're feeling. And then you eventually that, – that will eventually start to change what you're feeling and how you're acting. That's right. So, so for instance, let's say I'm, I'm taking a class in calculus and I think, oh, my God, I'm never going to pass this class. Mm-hmm. So as a, as a cognitive therapist, I'd say, well, let's talk about it. What are the things that you would need to do to pass this class? Well, I would need to get a tutor. Okay, so your first step is to get a tutor. I'm not talking about studying now. We're just talking about the little steps that it's going to take. Yeah. And then, and, and so by breaking it down, the person's able to see that rather than thinking about, am I going to pass? They're going to focus on all the little things that they can, in fact, do that are going to result in that outcome. Which is why and you're worried, really, right? I mean, you're wor- your body's right. worrying and creating that chemistry to get you to do these things. Right. Isn't it? I mean, in the end, because it, it knows you're not going to do it without these things. But then what we do, it seems like, is we make up a story. And then and we stick on the the big idea of failure of the class instead of just the action on what we know we should be doing. Because even that question you just asked, the person would know, I need a tutor. And if they already know they need a tutor, why aren't they getting it? That's right, because that's something they can do, rather yeah. than focusing on, can I pass the class? And and I, I like to think about it. One of my daughters was in gymnastics. And when you look at someone who is uh, an Olympic-type gymnast, you say, how could they possibly do these tricks? How could they spin off beam and 
dismount that way from the bars. And what you realize is that each movement is built on other core movements. It didn't happen in one day. It happened over 12 years yeah. where each little step is built on the previous step. It's, it really is amazing um, because, like again, back to Johnny Manziel, this great quarterback, one of the best in college, goes to the Browns. Everyone's sitting there thinking, why do you keep doing this behavior? Why do you keep doing this? And yet it's the very much the same pattern, probably. He's got some distorted thought that's leading to some ineffective behavior, and it, it, it can be helped. So anybody out there listening that sees that in their children or themselves or their families, it, it can be helped, right? Absolutely. But, but again, it starts by believing there's a problem. Right, so, right. You know, I think, I think that's... You can't and, tell him there's a problem. I don't, I don't know Johnny Manziel, but I get the sense that this is an awakening for him. Yeah. There's a problem. Well, and it's a big deal because he's, you know, he was fined by his team. They're probably on the verge maybe of getting rid of him. There's a lot of talk about that. And his whole future could go because of his inability to show up to team meetings. They're finding him... <laughs> not necessarily in football shape after a long night of partying. and I mean, it really is. It's kind of how it just manifests. And, and we don't know enough about his situation. But, I mean, I like the idea to know that this could be the, your, your college kid that goes away to college and because of similar stresses and situations isn't performing or just your husband that lost his job and can't go back and find another one. It affects all parts yeah. of life. Absolutely. And I think college is an interesting example. You know, before kids go to college, most of their activities and time are directed by adults. They have a fixed schedule at high school. They have activities and, and whether it's rehearsals or practices, but their lives are very structured and directed. And then they get to college and they have not necessarily internalized how they have to go about things. And it can be very overwhelming because they they don't understand all the little steps. They haven't made that mental transformation. Yeah. Well, yeah it's interesting. And now that they're in a different system, it, it probably you, the kind of the more native abilities are going to come out and, and not and become more apparent. Or their native but inabilities. Individual differences. Yeah. Right. I think individual differences, people who are very well organized and who don't rely on external input are going to do well at the beginning of college and people who are more used to waiting for their mother to remind them or the teacher to remind them, they're going to struggle because they're not used to organizing their time. Um, one of the things that you mentioned too is that we, we really just need to make an analysis of, of our worries and, and go through a process of, of thinking it through and analyzing it. What are some ideas we could do that? How, how could we do that? I always start with what's the worst that could possibly happen? I always start at the end game. What yeah. is it that, that I honest that I believe is, is going to happen? And very often um, that fear is so unrealistic that it, it pulls me back. In other words, so, um, you know, I, I think for me, there's always this, uh, you know, fear of poverty that I'm going to wind up, you know, without any money and without a job and living on the streets. And I think, well, you know, this isn't very realistic. Right. This isn't going to happen today, tomorrow, the next day. So I, I can let that one go and maybe think about what's driving that fear. Yeah. You know? and, I, and I think most people have fears that they go to. They have, you know, these catastrophic um, things that kind of settle in anytime they're frightened or, or sad. 
And so by looking at those first and discarding them, it kind of moves them back towards what's really going on. I mean, it's so true. And again, we, the thought that's unevaluated is just going to continue. It's going to keep working. Our body will take it and say, oh, yeah, that one's working. Let's just keep doing that. Let's uh, give me one more idea on perfection. I mean, one of the things we live in and, you know, I think everybody kind of suffers it a little bit to some degree is this sense of needing to be perfect, be great at everything. Kind of as we're wrapping this up, talk about how we need to learn to embrace imperfection and any tools you might have to help us there. A lot of people who are focusing on perfection are afraid of being shamed. They're afraid that if they do something a little bit wrong or that it doesn't measure up, that they will be rejected and isolated and that they'll be treated differently for it. And, you know, a lot of times it's because of the kind of parenting they have. Um, Sometimes it's their own personality style separate from that. But, But what it really comes down to is this idea that if I disappoint, you know, my parent, my friend, my spouse, they won't love me anymore. Right. And so they live in this constant fear and shame over, I have to do this exactly right, or this, this terrible feeling of rejection is going to occur. You know, the truth is, is that most of us make mistakes all the time, and most of those mistakes aren't even noticed. People have other things to do than worry about our mistakes. Yeah, right. Little errors. And so, you know, I think it, it often is helpful to reflect on, you know, different mistakes that people have made and whether anyone even noticed. That's so know, true. Because, because most of it just is not that important. And so, you know, um, having spent my life in medicine, you know, I think the first question is, did anyone die? Yeah. In other words, it, it, your risk of making a mistake in medicine, there's so much going on and so much happening. So you're always looking to reduce errors. But I think at the end of the day, you have to ask yourself, okay, well, how bad was this mistake? Was this yeah. that I just had to discontinue an order and write a different one? Or is somebody in surgery because I missed something? Yeah. And I think that, that again, reflecting on the, you know, how bad was the consequence of that mistake can be very helpful because most of the time it's insignificant. It is. And then that chemistry makes us feel like it's much more significant and our worries. Uh, Dr. David Sack, we so appreciate your insight. Um, I, I highly suggest people go check out his website, Dr. David Sack. Dot com, as well as go look at his blog, Where Science Meets the Step, on Psychology Today. Good stuff. We're going to take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today, uh, we have been talking about worry and the impact it has. And when you think about it, it's so pervasive. It's in everything. We worry about everything. We worry about things we don't even need to worry about. We still worry about ah, our kids, our children, our, I mean, our friends, their friends, our, our, our neighbors, are they? Did they drive on my lawn? Did you hit my? Did, did you drive? Did your tire hit my sprinkler? <laughs> we just worry and we worry and we worry, and then we worry about how much we're worrying. I took a test today that basically says I'm stressed out. Yeah, and it stressed me out. <laughs> I had I spent twenty minutes answering questions 
about my life, my habits, my stress, my physical, my mm-hmm. emotional, my sleep. And at the end of it, I was worried. Why? Because I'm a train wreck. Sorry. That's what they say. Maybe you shouldn't be a train wreck. Oh, wow. Thanks. Yeah, Matt, just stop it. Ah, oh, boy. You guys are no help. Okay. No, you're, we're your support. We're just yes. telling you to stop it. Is this an intervention? Yes. Yeah. You you bring too much attention to the radio show. Yeah. So Do I? Yeah. Am I starting? Are you guys starting to like Are you starting to notice that I'm bringing it well, down? We're I'm, we're I'm, noticing that that James should not buy you knives. Yes, that's true. Yeah, I was considering it, but I think that's a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't think about that. But my health, if I die tomorrow because of my bad health, you guys would probably be unemployed on the street. James would be selling knives. No, I'd just take over the show. Yeah, oh. it'd be the Matt Townsend show starring Sean O'Neill. Exactly. Well, we'd re- still keep the name in your memory. The Matt yeah. Townsend show, may he rest in peace. Yes. With, with Sean O'Neill. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. That's depressing. This just got morbid. <laughs> Here's the deal, though. We worry. Now, let's be very real about something. What is the, What are the worries for? That's a good question. Uh, people worry about so many different yeah. things. That, but your your body creates the, the worry for a reason mm-hmm. so you don't miss out on opportunities, so you take advantage, and so you don't get T-boned. It's a healthy, normal thing. Well, I know I get exhausted when I have to handle things with my kids because one kid will be worrying about homework. Yeah. Another kid will be worrying about... Uh, what do I look like at school? Another one's worried about you know, uh, is is are my friends liking me? And it's and it's it's something different. Yeah, and it's different every, every day. day. And then, but you'll see there's patterns that go on, right? And Doctor Sack got into that because as you think about the pattern, you know, one of the patterns that we have with our worry is we feel it, but we and we think about it, but we don't usually talk about it. I mean, we talk mm-hmm. about it. like they bring up whatever their worries are differently. Well, if you ask, if you ask, yeah. But some of us just stuff it. Yeah. So one of the problems, and this is the big key, and so this is the big assignment I'm going to give you because we're doing the coach's corner right Uh-oh. now. Yeah, I'm going to give you an assignment. You, Homework? We, we need, yeah, we need a plan. So if you know you tend to worry, you got to start making a plan so that we we create our own regimen to manage our own worries. Is this to stop you from worrying or to handle the worry? I don't know that you'll ever stop someone from worrying. Okay. Because some of that is just natural, right? Your body's like, yeah, you should worry about that. Mm-hmm. If you're going to be in front of a thousand people speaking, you ought to worry about that. There's certain things people just get nervous yeah. about. And you ought to. Except, like Dr. Sack was saying, if you start turning that thought and you kind of ruminate and stew on it and it becomes then a, a problem and the chemistry starts to kick in, mm-hmm. then you have more and more chemistry about it. That's where it becomes problematic. Then you start avoiding. Then you need video games to kind of you know manage, or drugs, or alcohol, or something use, else to numb yourself. I don't use video games to avoid, or in James, avoid talking with my or kids. Or he watched Power Rangers. <laughs> what? Why are you laughing? I play the video just, games with my kids. But see, again, it, that's that might be a great way to de-stress your kids. Yes, and so. So one rule is we need to start making a plan and start figuring out what works to create the lower stress. And we also probably need to set some boundaries on it so we don't do it 12 hours a day, every day. Oh, well, now you're just going way overboard. I'm sorry. I know. 
That see, 12 hours is very important <laughs> to my kids and I. Daddy needs 12 hours <laughs> just to unwind. So but if we don't learn this, then our, our children aren't learning it. And then we sit there and we wonder why everyone's stressed out of their head. And the reality is because nobody knows how to deal with the worry. True. Eons, ages ago, not even a decade or probably two generations ago, they didn't talk about it. Oh, heck no. You didn't talk about your worry. That was, we, we had this in our lives and we liked it. <laughs> we liked it. But now we talk about it a lot more. And yet so many of us also don't have somebody that we could actually share our feelings with. True. So one of the well, assignments is we've got to find a confidant. Mm-hmm. Somebody that okay. we can share our feelings with, tell these people what we really feel. Because if we don't, folks, people are going to stuff it, and then all of a the sudden they're going to have to— For me, that would be my wife. You need that. That's an ideal. Mm-hmm. And and vice versa, guys. You need to be there for your wives. Yes. Because it's weird. Now, there, there was some interesting research we've talked about on the show before about how women are always saying, I want to I know, know what you're thinking. Tell me what you're feeling. <laughs> and one of the one of the keys to the research they found out is that ladies, you say that, but you really don't. No. Because if we told you how much we're worried about and how we are like one minute away from imploding, uh, you don't want to hear that. So then all of a sudden men believe they have to be tough and we just shut up and we clam up. So make sure you're a safe landing place where your partner could talk. Now, by the way, it doesn't mean they can dump all their energy on you, but we have to talk. We have to be open to listening. We have to notice that our children are more quiet today than they were yesterday and say something. When when you say dump their energy, because I I don't have a problem if my wife is is feeling frustrated or something and she she needs to go talk, we can go sit down and just, you know, I... I can listen to everything that she wants to say. What, what if? What, but what if, I have to. But I choose whether or not I accept that energy. Well, don't yeah, I? Uh, I don't know. Um, Maybe if you become a chronic punching bag, that's a problem. Okay, <laughs> that's a great way to put it. A chronic emotional, yeah, punching bag. But if every day your partner just dumped on you, emotionally, she doesn't do it every day. No, right now, that. and if the emotion. That really might be because of you know her own inadequacy, for example, mm-hmm. is then or what she thinks is, uh-huh. or yeah, or yeah, her perception that she's inadequate mm-hmm. is then turned into something about you. Oh, okay. And then you hear about that every day. I see. I see. Then all of a sudden, you're and my going, wife doesn't do that. You're going to start to pull away. So as as you're out there in listener land. We need to find somebody. If it's your spouse, that's ideal. If it's not, by the way, it could be. Those are skills you could learn. Uh, or we need to find somebody. It can be a friend. It could be a neighbor. But if we don't have a healthy place to take our worries to, or if nobody at our home notices when we're different and worried, that's a problem. So one of the great gifts you could give your partner today is when you see they look sad, notice it. Honey, you seem a little quiet today. I, I try to do that. And when you do that, and they invite her to share it, what are you feeling? What are you going through? Yeah, Powerful. as long as I'm not being quiet myself that day. <laughs> That's it. And then what happens, though, is we get in these patterns. And so yeah. we think we think sometimes that by being quiet about our worries that it makes it better. 
Or we also think well, that, but we have to always talk about every worry. Because uh, I always think, well, if if I if I start unloading, then I'm just adding to her pressures that she's got during the day. Yeah, but interestingly, and I it, don't want to do that. Well, so what do you do? Just keep it. Yeah. No, but again, sometimes that's fine because sometimes you could just go running, or sometimes you could just go make dinner and have a and get it out of you. But sometimes plan a radio show. Plan a radio show, there for example, mm-hmm. which sometimes causes a lot more worry. Um, <laughs> no, really. <laughs> I mean, I've heard that. But in the end, too, um, sometimes our worries involve other people, involve what you do, involve what you say. So I guess the basic gist of this coaching corner is we are here to help other people through this crazy life. And the people you love, the people you care about, you they don't need another judge. They've already got themselves, right? right? They don't need another they don't need critics. What they need is somebody that's safe and predictable and they also need to know they're they're loved regardless. Mhm. And if we sense somebody that we love and care about is quiet or hurting, we might want to recognize it. That's called validation. You seem down. What's going on? And invite them to share it. And by the way, when they share it, you, like you said earlier, you don't have to agree with it, but you also don't have to disagree with it. True. And you can also just let it out. Let it float, I call it. Just let it come out and just let it be. Everything they say doesn't need to be addressed. Just let it out. We need a song called Let It Float. Let it float. It's the lesser Disney song. It's like Let It Go. Float. 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 That, that sounds really good. Yeah. yeah. They they tested the Let It Float idea to be the name of the song. <laughs> but it seemed like Let It Go trended better. By the way, did you see <laughs> um Jimmy uh Fallon yeah. had a special on after the Super Bowl? Yeah. I didn't get to see it until yesterday cuz on a little late for me, so I didn't I he had Will Ferrell there and uh, Kevin Hart, and they did a lip-syncing competition. Oh, they did? Will Ferrell did Let It Go. It was <laughs> Was he wearing hilarious. his skating outfit? Oh, no, no, no. He Good. was in a Seahawks sweatshirt. Oh, he was? Yeah. Let It Go. And, but it was funny. Seahawks. It was so funny. Well, you know, so Let It Go is one version of it. Let It Float's another one. Um, homework assignment? Okay. Get out there. Do I get graded on this? Yes. Cindy, we're going to have her call in, and we're going to see if and critique if you did your assignment. Let's start letting, let's start letting the people around us that we love, that we care about, let's let them just share healthy in healthy ways what they're feeling. Let's start noticing those that are down and out. Let's let them know that no matter what, we love them unconditionally. <sighs> let's try to get rid of some of the worries of this world by being there for each other. How about that one? Good stuff, my friends. We're going to take a break. We're going to take a long break. And when we come back, we're going to start this up again. We're even going to be talking about your kids, how you can work with your children about their worries. More fun stuff coming up right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Good afternoon. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Second hour of the program. One hour already in the books. It's flying. Lots of head bobbing going on in the studio today. 
And uh, today we've got a great, great uh, guest coming up in just a bit. Julie K. Nelson will be joining us from A Spoonful of Parenting. She's going to teach us how to parent those cute little children with less worries, less stress. Today is the day of stress. By the way, nowhere is it more stressful, I'm going to bet, in the United States today than Boston, Massachusetts. Boston? Do you know why? Is it more stressful in Boston or more stressful in Seattle? Uh, I'm going to go with Boston. Or is it more stressful in, say, the Raiders uh, (laughs) boardroom? (laughs) What are we going to do with these Raiders? When are the Raiders going to win something? Uh, No, it's Boston. Do you know why? Latest storm, not the one. Remember the remember um, the one that was like. Okay, so this is not football related. The storm of all storms, the no, superstorm. Yes. There was the superstorm that was supposed to be that the was, galaxy's largest wasn't storm. That Juno or something? No. The, they, they named it Juno. They did. The they Weather n- Channel names them. Yeah, I named it Xerxes. Really? <laughs> yeah, I like Xerxes. <laughs> Xerxes the superstorm. Actually, spell Xerxes <laughs> for me. X E R X E S. Yeah, he's right. Xerxes, Xerxes, Xerxes. Uh, when it hit, it was a big deal, right? In mm-hmm. Boston, it didn't hit so big uh, in New true, York. True. A lot of people were upset, but however, here's the problem: it it left two feet of snow in Boston, mm-hmm. and just a few days later, recently, yesterday, they got another foot. Hmm. Wow. They are up to three feet of snow in one week. Wow. That's a lot of snow. 34.2 inches measured by 1 p.m. yesterday. Our ski slopes could use some of that. Are they gonna it's ship driving it? me crazy. We have all the facilities. I know. And yet Boston receives the shipment. Uh-huh. Somehow we need to get the snow from Boston. Did FedEx or UPS mess that up? I don't know. I'll tell you. I know exactly who messed it up. It was the UPS. Oh. Uh, USPS. United States Postal Service. USPS. Mm-hmm. They and we'll talk about them in a minute. <laughs> okay. Holy cow, train wreck! Um, deadly northeast storm sets the record. It's a big deal, so big, in fact, the New England Patriots can't even have their victory parade. Wow! You know, yeah, they'd have to put them all in the back of a snowplow. <laughs> okay, so do no, it. Anticlimactic. Cool, yeah. You can't have a plow pushing snow and then the guys in the back. Well, that way you'd cover the the crowd with snow before they yeah. got they They'd got be, to wave to the guys. <laughs> There's a big wave of snow being pushed on all the crowd. Yay. Yeah, wouldn't so, work that well. By the way, jury selection for the uh, Boston Marathon bombers that oh, that, wow. that guy also was delayed. Uh, yeah, I'm the sure snow, it was. it's killing. Uh, it's it's sad. It's sad. And by the way, Groundhog Day, as we learned yesterday, he's he's setting it up for more six more weeks. Six more weeks of, uh, of I don't, pain. I don't I don't usually believe in the groundhog anyway. So well, you ought to. Hey, here's some news. This just in. Yeah. Uh, you you when I when I say the word the U.S. Postal Service, when I say that name, yes. Well, what comes to mind? Eagle. Uh, people. You in, think eagle in white yep. vans and blue and you, sweaters? Okay. Yeah. Um, I always tell my kids to watch out for the guys in white vans. And blue sweaters. And blue sweaters. <laughs> I was Mr. Rogers had a blue sweater. That's true. But he didn't drive a white van. True. Uh, there was an audit recently shoes. done uh, with the U.S. Postal Service. Yeah. Um, you won't believe what they found out. Uh, let me the, guess. The, 45% of packages don't get delivered. No. Oh. 39. No. Uh, that's a different audit. Oh, okay. This was the, an audit from the inspector general. Guess what they found out? They, uh, nothing gets delivered. They're finding out that a growing number of Americans believe that the United States Postal Service is worse than other retailers when it comes to customer service. Really? Can you believe this? I've never had a problem with... They found them to be rude. 
Rude with a capital R. That is what the audit says. I don't think I've ever been treated rudely by any member of the U.S. Postal Service. Wow. I'm serious. Not that I can remember. They believe the government could lose $288 million in lost revenue because of this problem. Well, the Postal Service has been losing money for but you know why? a long time now. Apparently, it's where rude people go to work. I guess. The OIG has partly blamed the American Postal Workers Union for the bad service. Oh, Since the union requires that the USPS to select employees for retail positions by seniority, not by merit. So the longer oh. you're in the system, you get to go. The more likely you are I, to get is the that front the desk. Cush, is that the cushy job? It's got to be better than trudging through Boston snow. I would think so. Don't you think? Yeah. Uh, this, by the way, this article Although is a lot less exercise. Yeah, true. This is from um, this uh, this study, by the way. Yeah. Is the OIG? They're the ones that like make. They're the ones that are the the they're only the people oversight overseeing people of what's yes. going on in government. Mm-hmm. While the Postal Service's goal is 90% customer satisfaction, we found that more than 20% of the customers in fiscal year 2013 that responded to the survey had been treated worse than other retailers hmm. Maybe when it's visiting just a, postal course, counters. I'm thinking of you know my town's post office, and yeah. there's nice people in there. I don't. I mean, I don't know sure. them personally or anything, yeah. so I'm always treated nicely when I go in there, though. Well, that's the thing, though, is that it's it's whether that's reality or not, it's people's perception of the USPS. It is perception, yeah. yes. I understand. And so, you know, just a little heads up. They need. To, by the way, the answer is more training. Probably. I can see and that. And a good PR. Uh, well, that would team. help, too. You know, another thing that might decrease— Their latest commercial is doing that, though, because they have actual postal workers talking in their commercial. Oh, that's good. And they're nice. Yeah. They're being very nice. Well, I'm sure they're the tenured long. I don't know if they are or not. Some would argue they're probably the new people (laughs) that haven't been there so long. (laughs) Again, it's just an institution, right? Um, It is. Another really interesting little thing that I think just has to be out there because uh, if you stress a lot and you feel like maybe the caffeine in the world is is destroying you, guess guess what Coca-Cola's newest product is going to be? Milk. Nope. Milk. Milk. M-I-L-K. Mm-hmm. Milk? Milk. Milk. <laughs> Coca-Cola is coming out with a premium milk. Wow. Wait, is it going to be caffeinated? That has more protein and less sugar than regular milk. Is it going to be carbonated? It won't be carbonated. <laughs> oh, thank you. But uh, they're coming out, and a lot of people are a little weirded out by that. Yeah, that I is I can understand. Strange. And, in fact, uh, Steve Colbert made a lot of great jokes about it. He calls it the extra expensive science milk. Oh, okay. <laughs> he also so, says it's like, it's like they got Frankenstein to lactate. <laughs> <laughs> but so people are worried about it because what does Coca-Cola know about milk production? Well, they know beverages, but I have to agree with them. What do they know about Milk and a cow. But people are drinking a lot less milk, and so nobody markets a beverage better than Coca-Cola. That's true. True. So uh, a company called Fairlife is now, I think they're being bought out or partnering with uh, Coca-Cola, and they are producing a lactose-free, 50% more protein, 30% more calcium, 50% less sugar than regular milk milk product. It's lactose-free? So it's, it, yep. I, can see, I can see the silver can now, diet milk. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. seriously. Milk, it does a body good. Milk for life. Got milk adds life. Got milk. Yeah. 
Yeah. Anyway, so just know you can relax. Coca-Cola's on it. Coca-Cola's on it. So one way to de-stress, go back, go to the vending machine, go get yourself a milk, some decaffeinated, ultra Frankenstein lactation <laughs> love. High quality Beverage. milk. Yeah. Milk. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Julie Nelson's going to be joining us talking about worry, how to decrease the worries with your children. Parenting 101. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Here's a little song I wrote. You might want to sing it note for note. Don't worry. Be happy. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. What a song. This song, Don't Worry, James. Just be happy. Relax. Nobody's going to die. Hey, today we've been talking about worry and the impact it has on our lives, our, you know, our stress, the ability to function in the world. And uh, we wanted to, to bring on another expert, one that is on the show regularly, one of our, one of our favorites. From a spoonful of parenting.com, you know her as the bomb mom. Also, the child whisperer, Julie K. Nelson, is joining us. She is a mother of five children and uh, has a master's degree um, from the university or Utah State University in marriage and family and human development and currently is on faculty at Utah Valley University where she teaches classes on, you know, healthy parenting skills, healthy family, uh, human development kind of skills. She's great. We love to have her on the phone. Julie, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks for inviting me. How are good you? Good to be here. Yes, good to be here. Thank you. Did uh, did we stress you out? No, you didn't. You never stressed me out. That's funny. <laughs> it's so true. I bet. I bet you can. You're just so used to just you know talking about worry that well, it yeah, never stresses you, know, you. Yeah. No. I. You know. I. I work with people who do stress out easily, and it's kind of you know a lifestyle. Um, yeah. Choice that they make that I help them to realize and to. Um, you know, make adaptations in their life. And so it's kind of an ongoing thing that many people I know um, and close to me that I know that deal with this. Do you think it's, do you think we're just kind of born, I'm born, do you think we're born stressed? Or do you think, I mean, I, I can see how just, how we were raised, how our family works, you know, how our mother or our father would deal with this becomes a major driver for how we handle stress in our lives. Yes, I think so. I think that in our um, perfectionism-driven society that parents um, really put a lot of stress on their kids, um, and they tend to have higher expectations than what the children are able to uh, handle emotionally, and yeah. um, we really need to back off and help them to be have kids and have a childhood and not to have un, you know, unreasonable expectations for them. It's so true. I mean, and we just pile it on, don't we? And so how are yeah. your tests? And how are, are you on these, these like, what are they called? Like these advanced teams that you spend millions of dollars to travel all over your state to have them yeah. be competitive. Mm-hmm. And we and, push that. And then instruments. Yeah, and Exactly. And, and, and they'll be on all the different clubs and teams. And not that that's bad if a child really wants to do a certain, and they have a passion to be on a, on a, a team um, or to compete in something, but 
that we have to really watch that it doesn't um, overcome, their stress doesn't overcome them and it paralyzes them and that we have them in too many things because it's our choice for them rather than their choice for themselves. And then that, be, I mean, that's interesting, yeah, because I'm, I'm not assuming that most kids would inherently, naturally be drawn to do everything um, that they, I don't know, that that is possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, half of these kids, my my. My kids don't even know the deadline to sign up for something. I know. So if the, if my wife didn't remind them and and get the stuff signed up and done, yeah. it wouldn't it wouldn't happen. And honestly, they wouldn't even know till halfway through the season. Yeah. Right. It, it really does depend, Matt, on the on the child. It really does. I have, you know, parents who their kids really do like to take on all themselves. They're kind of like that type A personality, yeah. and you really have to scale them back and say, you know, pick two, pick three, or whatever it might right. be. And let's just kind of watch and see how we can manage and balance this, because some kids can overcommit themselves. I have a child right now who's in a gifted program um, in the junior high, and he had this major project due last week, and he also happened to sign up for two other things at the oh, same wow. time. Yeah. And I said, what? what? Why are you doing this? <laughs> well, because my friends wanted me to do this. And I said to him, now let's just talk about this for a minute. Yeah. How much stress is this going to put on your life and how much time commitment? And I had to help him scale back and go. And he said, but my friends will be mad if I drop out of it. I said, if you have real friends, they'll support you. And if you say, I can't do this right now. And be able to say no to yourself and no to others is a really important thing we teach children, that it's okay if kids you know, are disappointed in us because we have to do what's right for ourselves. And they, they want to be so accepted by their peers. You and bet. they want to fit into all the crowd. And I'm going to be more popular if I'm on Team A and Team B and Team C. And so some kids, you really have to help them to say, no, what's right for me emotionally? And to, to walk, talk to them about what's happening to themselves. You know, are they happy when they are so stressed out? Um, is this the right thing for them? And to talk about their, you know, their the physical aspects of, you know, right now I can see that you're very upset. You're probably very um frustrated you're probably you know i can see you crying and talk about the you know what you're emoting right now does this is this a healthy thing and they don't have they have they can't connect that right now i'm feeling these things but at the same time i want all this other stuff well you know one thing has to right now your physical well-being your emotional well-being is the most important thing look at how it's affecting your body look how it's affecting your emotions and is this happiness is this, you know, what your body and your mental health needs right now? And it really is a hard look at themselves for some kids. Now, like, your, like you said, your kids and some of my other children, they couldn't care less. Right. Care less. Whatever. Care less. And we have to, like, push them into yeah. these things. That's true, though. Yeah. So some you have to kind of electrocute, and some you just have to put a blanket on. Yeah. So you have to, every parent needs to look and examine their children and see where they're at. And some are middle line, which is great if they are really well balanced. But I'm telling you, some kids um, are those type A, and some parents are type A, and they push that on their own kids. You bet. It's not healthy. I love this inventory idea that you're talking about where we sit down and we we actually create a space and we talk with our children where they can kind of figure out what they're feeling in relation to what they've signed up for and, and experience like an inventory. Like, is this working for you? And um, because so many times you could see that we get into it, then we're obligated mm-hmm. and we've told, you know, we're a member of the team now mm-hmm. and we've paid our dues. And so we stay in it regardless of what our child is feeling or going through. But to actually have them check in and say, notice what you're feeling. Notice the level of stress on a scale. I mean, if you could put it on a scale, yeah. like a scale from one to ten, mm-hmm. how is this affecting you? It might it might be a really powerful way to 
to cue them in to their life and to better decision making. Yeah, like how how many hours of sleep are you getting that is because you're overcommitted. Yeah. I mean how you know, what is it going what are you feeling like as far as your you know, all, all these different, you know, marks in life that one to ten is a great scale, um, as well. And um just noticing as well, because some kids just can't they they don't know how to express what's going on internally and so I look at them and say, I'm noticing that you're going to bed at this hour and you're mm-hmm. getting up at this hour. I'm noticing that you're falling asleep today. I'm noticing that you are crying more often. And so if I see these types of things and help them to realize, it's just emotional intelligence is what I'm having them do. Yeah. And it's really important that they see how this is affecting them. A lot of these kids also are the pleasers. Yeah. And so they, they grow up with parents, number one, who demand a lot and who um, tell them, I'm proud of you. When you do this is the implicit statement. I'm proud of you. When you do all these things, you achieve. Oh, good job. Oh, way to go. Kind of like you're handing trophies to your parents. Right. This is for you. Look, this is for you, Mom and Dad. And the parent says, oh, thank you. Oh, oh bless you. And, <laughs> and they thank you for making me look good. And so the kids grow up as these pleasers of, I have to make Mom and Dad happy by my achievements. And so they grow up thinking that they have to please others to make themselves feel good because that's how um, they'll get recognition. And so we have to be very careful that we're not that parent who demands um, children to um, feel like their performance is all that matters sure. and, not, and not their well-being. Well, I mean, you're creating a monster mm-hmm. because, I mean, even though they're they're producing results, um, they're, they're doing it with this idea that they're doing it in order to please other people. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, you know, that just seems like eventually you're going to w- run out of track. exactly exactly and we're doing it all for the wrong reasons you know and so managing not just are you doing it for your friends because you don't want to disappoint them or to fit in or to please me are three very important questions to ask why is a child motivated to do what he's doing yeah so see the source find the source the motivation Mm -hmm. for why they're doing it that's a big i mean it really is kind of a that that makes sense julie when you're a human development expert like yourself uh-huh. <laughs> but, I mean, mo- most parents aren't really checking motivation, right? They're no. just kind of checking, so do you want to do it? Yeah. Okay. We do it. They pay for it. And then they don't like – if they don't like it, we don't. We kind of don't know where to begin there. And it's okay if you are motivated to go, you know, on the marching band because you've got a friend there. Sure. And I, I think that's great. That's great. But but let's not, let's not have them – if they start to commit to a hundred things – right that they're all um, doing it because they want to be accepted by everybody. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying that to those who are listening. Uh, please let, let them be there with their friends on the track team or whatever it might be. But how, how overextending are they going to be? They have to be able to make choices. And that's what life's all about, of saying, okay, I have to censor myself on how many things I can commit to. And can I say no to others and feel okay with that myself as a human being? You bet. Um, and many people can't do that as adults. Right. You've got to learn it early and learn, teach our kids how to. I, in fact, I said that with my son. I said, what's going to happen if this other friend um, is disappointed because you drop off? It was just this thing that they did after school. It was called the Hobbit Quest. Mm. And they were going around the school doing all these things about the Hobbit, and they were going to win some prizes. And they were doing it as teams, and he had signed up to be on this team. And then he had this, all this other stuff that was done due for curriculum, like his actual classes that were for grades, and I, that he, he could not do both. There was no way. He couldn't, like, duplicate himself yeah. in two places. That, and I said, you're going to have to say one, one to the other. One of this going to be no. He was, oh, no, what do I do? And he was all stressed out and all worried. And I said, you know what, your friends will understand. 
if they're true friends, they'll they'll get it that you can't be there. And That's he had great. to say he had to say no to the team. And I said, how did they do? How did they handle okay? And he goes, yeah, they were all right. But that was a, that was a leap of faith mm. to say, can I disappoint others and be okay um, with whatever the reaction is? And we've got to learn that early because even as adults, people can't do that. They don't want to disappoint others they can't confront you know (laughs) i have a daughter right now who's got two job offers and today she has to say no to one of them and it's stressing her out but that's so good she doesn't want to say no to the one the one employer who's offered her the job because the other one is what she really wants to do and so how do i say no and it's she's really worried about that because she's learning that that she's just she's still just you know 18 she just graduated from high school but it's hard for her to say I can't take your job because she wants to make everybody That's happy. Right. And she doesn't want to say. You and know, they no offered it. They, they're <laughs> offering me the job, so they love me. You know, Julie, we're going to take a break. I love what we're learning because when we think about it, we have to learn no sometime. And if we can learn it younger, and, and also just recognize friends are valuable. They have incredible, you know, Im- impact on our lives. And yet, saying no, knowing you know what our limits are, learning that when we're younger, such a powerful tool. We'll come back more with the child whisperer, the bomb mom, Julie K. Nelson from the website a spoonful of parenting.com. More up next on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we are talking about, uh, you know, eliminating the worries in life. One of the great places that we all as parents could start is working with our children to under, better help them better understand life, their limits, their worries, and figure out maybe how to say no. Te- teach them to take an inventory of their own life, their own, you know, history. All of the things that add up. Do you say yes a lot because every time you're saying yes, you're saying no to other things? Do you know how to say no? All very, very important things to figure out. And the sooner we can do it, the better, I believe, truly our life will be. We've got a wonderful guest on the phone, one of our great contributors, uh, Julie K. Nelson from a spoonful of parenting.com. Julie is a mother of five children and has a master's degree in marriage, family, and human development, and is a on a faculty member at Utah Valley University, where she teaches all about creative ways, healthy family skills, and creative ways to uh, to grow healthier, happier together. We, um, we always have Julie Kay on, and she always, um, how do we put this? She always, when she shows up, she brings us treats. <laughs> That's the only reason why you keep me on. No, I'm, no. I'm convinced of it. It is not true, but it is a serious benefit. <laughs> we love having you. Poor, on. You poor hungry radio folks need to have nourishment. Well, the funny thing about that is every time you bring me food, I'm never hungry. <laughs> but I'll eat it anyway because I don't want to offend. Yeah, but everyone else there wants it. Sean and James and everybody else, even though you turn your nose up at my stuff. I you know, no, I take it. I always eat it. I have to eat it after the show. Otherwise, I get the microphone just completely filthy. No, you do. You don't eat when I bring it, but you just, I know uh-huh. you're just like downing it after I, am. I go. I am. You're I take, like in fact, two fisting it. You that's know? it. That's exactly. <laughs> double fisting it. And just, <laughs> but I do that because, you know, A, it's incredible food. And F, Thanks. it's yummy. 
No. Well, thanks. And I, I, you know, I sit home and I just worry about what you sh- you're what you're needing to eat. You know, really. You're like worried no. about. No, I'm not a worrier. You no, know not. that about no, me. I, I really, I just um, don't ever worry about what we are eating. Yeah, yeah. Just, just always know it's not good for us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You guys are probably one of those big gulp type people that sit around all day with your, with your Coke. Uh, just, ironically, forty eight forty-eight ounces. I do have a beverage. Mm-hmm. It's not forty-eight, Julie. <laughs> it, it's not. No. What is it? 44. Come on. 44 and a half. Wow. That's just the first trip. Yeah, I'm yeah. worried about you and your, yes. But I, I'm soon, soon I'm going to quit drinking carbonated drinks. This is the life yeah. of a radio professional. I know Sean does. I've seen him. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Does Sean? Sean. Uh-huh. I, um, we ought to have you come on and talk about breaking a carbonation habit. Hey, I could give you a full hour on that one. I have such interesting stories. Oh, really? Yeah. See what you've done, Matt. <laughs> oh, great. It's <laughs> no. like, no, don't bring her on. The minute we do that, then we'd have to quit. I carbonated beverages. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know what? I feel like it. I feel like it's added years to my life. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's actually kept me alive. I, I would have crashed a car by now. <laughs> True. If I didn't have that. Julie, you've been trying to teach us some skills that we can maybe work and teach our children about healthier, healthier kind of, I guess, psychology, but how not to worry. Mm-hmm. What, what are some more things we as parents well, should be yeah. doing? There's some other things, just some small things. We talked about the, the bigger worries, the projects, the team, you know, being over overcommitted school-wise. But there's some also things that I want to talk about. Um, that younger kids could worry about, and that would be things like, um, you know, like being lost or being kidnapped or a burglar coming into the house or at night going to sleep. Right. Because we want to address those. We talk about older kids. Let's talk about younger kids for a little bit because we do have kids that really are worriers um, about those issues like, you know, are, 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 is uh, dad can I get in a car crash? Yeah, what if my goes, parents die? Mm-hmm, yeah, <laughs> little kids do have anxiety over that. I used to worry about, have you ever seen the, the movie Chitty Chitty Bang Bang? Oh, yes. And my kids told me I ruined them for life oh, yeah. because of the child oh, snatcher. That, there's some a child snatcher <laughs> that puts these kids in cages. Yeah. And I remember watching it with my mom just sitting there smiling, tapping her little toe. And then the rest of the week, I'm like afraid that a child snatcher is going to get me. Yeah, they they have my kids have all uh, accused me that they have to see a therapist for the rest of their life <laughs> because I <laughs> I made them watch that show. That's one I, of the yeah. I love that show. It's the best. It's for Disney. It got away from Disney on that one. I think. They, they all love they all love it now as adults. But seriously, as kids, that is more scary than Ursula and everybody. Oh, yeah. All the other oh, witches yeah. combined. Yeah. Because he's real. He's totally real. He's totally real, and he walks around with that big nose. That's right. Kind of creepy with that cage. Yes. You know, yeah, the bus that turns into a... Oh. I saw him on campus, by the way. <laughs> That's where it gets really scary. And I, did, I don't have a car that flies. Yeah. See, as a kid, if I had a car that flew, it wouldn't be a big deal. No, and then my kids will say, like, well, I'll be out in public, and then my kids will be like, oh, Mom, look at that guy. He looks just like the child snatcher. I mean, we still have references today. <laughs> That's so sad. So, you know, this sticks with them, and they, they have worried about things, you know, when they're younger, about is Mom going to, you know, am I get left at the grocery store? And so let's just talk about that, because that is something that can be externally driven, these, these events that they're worried about, and then it makes them have a physical reaction where they start to... Hold on, Sean has a I, comment. No, I do. I want to hear this, Julie, because... 
Um, hopefully my wife's not listening right now, nor my kid. I, I came home the other day, and, and my, my two youngest daughters said, Dad, you're my favorite. Oh. Um, only because my wife had forgotten them at school. <laughs> yes, yes. Interesting. So the and worst she had a, fears no, she had were a, She had an interruption in her regular schedule, yeah. and she, was, she happened to be out and about at the normal time that she would go and pick them up. There was a change. My other daughter had to go somewhere and be somewhere, and so she just didn't have a chance to go get them at their school. So, mm-hmm. so I want to hear. I want to hear this and see no, how I can repair. Because you know, usually mothers are the ones that are the mm-hmm. responsible party for picking up kids, taking them everywhere. And That's you know, right. because we got so much going on, we do drop it once in a while. Yeah. And and so we got to talk our kids through scenarios. So I talk about the what if scenario or the plan B. Or you can call mm-hmm. either one. And so you have to talk to your kids through these things. So, for instance, let's do the I forget you at school scenario. So let's say that okay, let, and this actually happened. Okay. So I didn't forget my child at school, but she was in kindergarten, and they have this thing called early out day, right, here? Right. And so one day a week, and kindergarten is already short. It's like three hours, you know, and so then on the early out day, it's like an hour and a half. Ugh. And so I had forgotten the early out day, and so I'm like in my head going shopping, thinking, okay, i got three hours, and my little precious five-year-old girl oh, no. comes home and there's nobody here. And so we have a what if, you know, scenario. What yeah. if this happens? Because, you know, we just know these things are going to happen. So talking our kids through, not, um, you know, letting them think, oh, it'll never happen. Oh, I'll always take care of you. Oh, I'll always, you know, that's not going to happen. We have to face realities. And so I talked to her, what would happen if you came home ever and I wasn't here? And so she knew to go down to the neighbor's house and just start knocking down the street until somebody <laughs> went home. And I found her playing down at the neighbor's house. <clears throat> Excuse me. They were having a little tea party, and she was just as That's happy. great. She's like, hey, Mom, could you forget me once in a while, you know, more? Yeah. Uh, because this is kind of fun. And so the neighbor was totally spoiling her. And so that was the what-if scenario, or the plan B. What happens, plan B? So if I forget you at school, what's the plan B kind of idea? And it's so great the kids have cell phones now, not the fact oh, yeah. that they love technology, and I don't like them to play on it, you know, with games. It's really, in fact, we have some studies, lots of studies that show that it's bad for them to be on it playing games early on, but it's nice to have some kind of a backup if there's no phone around. Um, but, you know, back in the day, Matt, you know, we just say to the secretary, oh. let's call mom on your phone. Right. You know, there, there are phones to be had. So, you know, there, but kids do generally have more cell phones earlier on, and they can call. They have a directory. They can make arrangements when things don't work out. I love that. And give scenarios. I, you could even just give scenarios. Okay, so if this had happened, what would you have done? If this had happened, what would you do? And even if you did that more regularly, mm-hmm. you're, you're at least giving them kind of problem-solving skills as well. Yeah, so if we're at the mall and you somehow and I, you and I get separated, what would you do? And so having regular conversations with their kids empowers them of they can take control of their life rather than these scary scenarios will consume them. And that's what their, being, their anxiety is all about. Yeah, exactly. Is that I can't handle this. I won't know what to do. And, and by addressing it, it's like, yes, you can. These things do happen in life, and what will happen if? And so talk them through what will happen if we have a fire in our house, which a lot of kids are worried about, you know, burglars or fires, and go through a fire escape plan and rehearse it and go through it, you know, again and again on where we would meet if there was an earthquake so that they know that if these things, and we're not scaring the kids. No. 
But, you know, people do this all the time, even with, like, stranger danger. What would happen if someone drove up and said this to you, you know, from their car and asked you to get into their car? You, you just talk to them about, it's, a, it's a called empowering the kids. Right. With information that they can use to feel like they can handle anything that happens in life. So, yeah, that's a really important Well, see, and it's not even, it's just common sense, too, right? It's, they can either worry and not know what they would do and never think about their plan, or we can just be proactive and start giving them tools and resources and ideas. And, I mean, just a simple news story of a kidnapping would be maybe the perfect segue to talk about it. Yeah, and it's, it's also important the way that you bring it up. The parent has to, when they talk through these things, especially like, say, a five, six, seven year old, they have to talk with a voice of um, confidence and of, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, where they are relaxed. Yeah. Because the, if yeah. they start to feel, oh no, this happened to this child in this news article, and the, 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 you, know, you can feel the stress in their voice. But the, the, another way to approach this is, oh, let me show you this thing that happened in the news. I saw this this article in the news about this girl who the stranger, of, and it's the most interesting thing. This girl was so smart, and you talk about it in that kind of that positive tone of, uh-huh. wow, isn't this great? And you could do the same thing too. And she said no to that person, and wow, what do you think about that? And you share it like as if it's the most interesting news article ever, instead of, of this ringing my hands and worrying kind of thing that the child will pick up the, the, ver- the verbal right. and the nonverbal cues of a parent who's stressed out about some event that happened in the news. Um, and, and I have to share this with you and tell you what you right. should do. Terrified. And, and you, I mean, yeah, and you can fear the, hear the tremor in their voices. So the way you share it with this confidence and, wow, wasn't that girl smart? What would happen if the same thing happened to you? Could you do something like that? Well, they're talking and, about it at school, too. I mean, yeah. my kids come home and say, all right, so I'm so excited because if anybody ever came into our school, we've got the teacher that is the wrestling coach, <laughs> that, and he's already told us what he would do to the person, and we've got a whole plan. So they're talking about it. Yeah, yeah. So do the same thing at home and do a, a family uh, escape plan, whatever that might be, um, and for whatever thing might happen. So t- when the child does have a worry and a fear, too many parents say, oh, that won't happen. We never, we'll never get, you know, burglars, no. We don't have burglars in our street. Or fire, oh, yeah, that's one in a million chance. Rather than just brushing it under, kids will still w- stew about that. So say, you know what, that probably won't happen. You know, it really is, re- you know, rarely happens in anyone's life. But if that were to happen, what would we do? Mm. And then do it. Do address it straight on, and don't feel like I'm going to be, you know, stressing out my kids <laughs> talking about the what ifs. No, yeah. that gives them information they can use. I love that. Yeah. I uh, I remember as a kid getting these pajamas and reading that the pajamas were were flammable. No. Yes. Yeah. Yes. F- yeah. Or whatever. Uh, fire retardant, or something. And I'm like. And I'm asking my mom, "What's that about?" And she's like, "Well, oh, it's just if you're wearing those pajamas, <laughs> you happen to catch on fire. and you catch on fire, <laughs> you won't burn as much." <laughs> and I'm like, "Ew, <laughs> isn't that? Uh, never mind, mom." Never TMI, mind. right? <laughs> so true. Well, yeah, it's I funny, know, and in, in the little brain, we've always got to just remember that they're they're using the five year old brain. Yeah, I wouldn't say it that way, yeah. but. <laughs> Definitely, you know, talk about the the larger issues if this were to happen, and yeah. and um, that really makes everyone feel more at peace that we can handle whatever life throws at us. We need to know that, and so um, definitely talk through those scenarios, and to, to ask the what if 
questions and and the and the plan Bs yeah. and 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 uh, what could they do to handle that situation if that ever happened to them? I think it's great advice. Julie K. Nelson is her name. Go to her website, a spoonful of parenting dot com. And uh, by the way, when you get there, you can check out uh, her book. She is the author of the book Parenting with Spiritual Power. She also has another book coming out uh, very soon. And uh, we'll have her back on the show. She's a regular. She's around all the time. Julie K. Nelson. So appreciate it. Again, the more proactive we can be with our children, maybe we can lessen their worries as well. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. More ideas, more tools to help you find the good in the world right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, as we wrap up uh, the show, the Matt Townsend Show, putting a big bow on it, and we'll file it away. Is that what that is you brought yeah, in? that's that big thing I'm folding right now. Hey, uh, we've been talking about worries, and nobody's more worried than our staff. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I worry every day that we have to get a show together. You know what? I worry that you worry. I'm glad. And then meanwhile, James sits there and worries about nothing. Yep. He's worried about knives. Carefree, yeah. <laughs> He's worried about love. So we decided uh, to wrap this up. Sean found um, found a list of 20 things people mm-hmm. worry about. This was a survey. Uh, I believe it was done in England. Uh, this was posted by Matthew Champion on a, a website called The Independent. Uh, it is a, a British site. Uh, this same survey also found that 42% of people are unhappy with their lives. 42%. 42%. Interesting. That's sad. But this is a list of uh, 20 things people worry about the most. By the way, in this room, it's 66%. Really? <laughs> yeah. Funny, because I'm sitting in a different room. So uh... <laughs> so that percentage is kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Number 20, though, they're worried about the area that they live in, kind oh, of like yeah. crime level yeah. and stuff. These are all the things we could worry about. Yes. But these are the people, things that people do the most. Right. Uh, Number 19 is their pet's health. That's why you don't, that's why you shouldn't have a pet. Well, I, you know, I'm kind of thinking that myself right now. That's why my wife won't. She cannot handle a pet dying. Oh, really? Right. I had, I had uh, some relatives who had to, had to put their dog down actually. It's sad. And it's, Yeah. On the other hand, she tells me she'd be fine because she, if I died, because she'd have enough insurance. So maybe you try, need nice. to try to get a life insurance plan for a pet. A pet, then yeah. then you win either way. Yeah, well, <laughs> as long as Marty tells us when the funeral is, we'll be there. That's right. What else do they worry about? Their sense of of uh, fashion, how they dress. Oh wow, really? I know. Yeah, I I I find that kind of weird because I usually don't worry about that too much. No. I, I do worry that I actually put clothes on. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. But, you don't you want know. to get arrested. No. Um, then there is, uh, you know, work goals or targets. Yeah, that's – see, work stresses you out. Yeah. It can. That's one that it gets me. It can a lot because you have – I mean, you have to get things done at a certain time. If yeah. things aren't done – they're like, I'm not going to pay if you don't do it. Oh, especially if you own your own business and you have employees, you got to get the payroll out and all sorts of stuff. Let's just add on to this and pile quiet. on. Let's just be quiet. Okay. <laughs> Um, number 16. Yeah. Am I a good parent? Am I raising my kids uh, correctly? And then the cop pulls up. I know. Like, that's the one that worries me, though. Yeah. That's a I, big one. I, you know, it, do you say something to your kids and it turns them – I don't think that one word is no. going to, you know, make them 
into criminals or something, no. but it's they can take you wonder it. though. But it's other things, or the neglect, or the lack of attention, or too much yes, pressure. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, uh, they worry about a friend or a family member that they've fallen out with. Yeah. I mean, just, just that. We've only done five or six, and I know you're now getting me worried because these are things I wasn't like. I didn't think about my clothes uh, today, and <laughs> now I'm like, gosh, I hope I look okay. That's okay. The plaid well, is okay. Don't like worry. It. Okay, good. You're golf. You're golfing later, right? No. Oh, okay. Oh. I just really like plaid. All right. <laughs> it's not that big of a deal, <laughs> and I'm colorblind, so. Oh, number 14, whether I will find the right partner or whether my current partner is right. This is James. This is. This has James and his knife set and Mike (laughs) written all over it. Doesn't it? James, do you worry about that anymore? Not really, actually. Now you think you found the one. Yeah. Done. Check. McKinley. Yep. She's the one? Yeah, she is. She's the one. The Mm. one and only. Wow. Wow. Don't worry about it anymore. No stress, no anxiety. Just marry her and then let the other worry start. (laughs) Uh, Number 13, whether my partner still loves me. Yeah. Number 12, whether or not I am attractive. Mm. I already know it. Okay. I'm glad you know. Marty can't resist his ab. I am kind of a big deal. Ab. Yeah, his ab. (laughs) I invented the ab roller, by the way. Mm -hmm. Wow. It started with just but rolls. the thing is when you when you just roll, <laughs> but it wasn't an app. <laughs> roll it on your when stomach. you're rolling it on your stomach, it yeah. just doesn't. Yeah. It's not. It's not like you can flatten them out. You're that like way. kneading your stomach. It's yeah. Not like dough. I'm sorry. Uh, number eleven. I need to find a new job. Yes. I, that's that can be stressful, that's especially very if you're stressful. in a job and you're thinking, oh, whoa, yeah. Do I, I still have a job? Yeah. Uh, number ten. I seem to be generally unhappy. Isn't that weird? Like you're now worried about how unhappy you are. And yeah. then you're worried and unhappy. Mm-hmm. That's just too much. And off we go. Number nine, paying your rent or your mortgage. Yeah, that's why I let my wife do it. There you go. Number eight, uh, This is I think this is Matt, worried about my physique. Mm. Oh, yep. Yeah, all day. Well, I'm just worried that other people are going to crash their cars when I'm driving <laughs> or when I'm walking. And number seven goes right into that as well, wrinkles or aging appearance. What? I've never talked about my wrinkles. Uh-huh. You just brought that up. That's body language, Matt. We can tell you're worried. Yeah. <laughs> can you? It's that serum you keep in your office. You're always like kind of checking the mirror. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Number six. Totally true. And I'm, I'm wondering if this is more um, uh, economical, but job security. Oh, yeah. I mean, so the economy is probably, mm-hmm. as it's, it's improving, part of it. it'll, I bet that'll change a little bit. It might. Uh, number five, financial slash credit card debts. Yeah. That can be That can be hard this is scary uh number f- uh that was number five number four is uh diet yeah mm-hmm. don't worry about, about what that. you're eating mm-hmm. you know what i do just when make I sure worry, you don't eat the poison stuff so. you know when i worry i eat i do too so actually. when i think about my diet and i'm and worried worry about it then i have to eat and then i worry and then i eat it's just a, a circle. Uh-huh. It's downward spiral. It's like a it's like mm-hmm. a circle. It's almost it's like, like a Lion King. A, it's like a cylinder of ice cream. Ooh. And you just keep digging deeper into that cylinder. There you go. I'm hungry for ice cream now. I am too. Uh, number three, low energy levels. Oh, really? People worry about their energy. Yeah, that was number three. Wow, on the list. Jeez, that's interesting. At number two, worried about my savings or yeah. financial future. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And number one, just. Getting old in general. Which is so funny because you'd think if, honestly, if you're so worried about your diet and your physique, you're going to probably get old. 
Well, we know we're going to get old. But, or you're going to die young, so you're actually eliminating your worry. You don't need to mm-hmm. worry about number one if you're worrying about four, five, and six. True. I would agree. Which just says or if you're taking care of four, five, and six. It just six. shows that we're not rational. Sometimes. We're very predictably irrational. We've got to have him on the show. Dan Ariely wrote a book called Predictable, Predictably Irrational, How Humans mm-hmm. Just – We Do the Darndest Things. Mm-hmm. And we do it consistently. Well, that's good stuff. Good job, Sean. I really like our quote today, by the way. Corey Ten Boom, uh, one of my favorite, I think, people ever on the earth. She might even, in my book, Trump Mother Teresa, believe it or not. But uh, she was a Dutch Christian who was held in a a Nazi Holocaust camp. Mm -hmm. But here's her quote. Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. And this was a woman held held captive in a camp. By the way powerful stuff. Corey Ten Boom told us that. Tomorrow on the show, we're going to be getting real about having it all. Can you have it all? And what do you get when you get it all? To me, it just seems like a lot of work, a lot of maintenance. You're probably going to have to mow the lawn and clean it regularly. Thanks for joining us, folks. Again, we couldn't do it without you. We love having you on board with us. Tomorrow, more ideas, more fun, more insight, more light right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Take care. till tomorrow. 